Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where there is no offseason and we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on September 1st, 2017, while sitting on a stone wall in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. It is right now, I'm going to use my my magical uh, smart telephone that I have here, and I'm going to go check what the weather is in my hometown. Right now, it is it's just about 80 some odd degrees. Uh, it is supposed to reach about 103 degrees today, which is better than it was yesterday where it hit 115, 100 and goddamn 15. Sorry, Ray, but when it gets this hot, you got to throw the goddamn in there. Holy cow. You know, I, I, I much would rather be cold than hot. Because when you're cold, like, you know, last uh, December, I was in New York City, and it got pretty chilly. And, and I did a couple of podcasts, including one from the Polo Grounds, one from Ebbets Field, one from Yankee Stadium, and it was cold. I'd have, I'd my, I had a big jacket on, I had, a, a, I had my sweater on, I had my Washington State University gloves on. It was cold. But you can put on enough cold, enough clothes, that eventually, all right, now I'm comfortable. Okay, I mean, unless you're on the set of on, of John Carpenter's The Thing, or The Hateful Eight, where it's so cold that it's affecting how you speak, you know, this is you'll 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 be okay. But when you get this hot, oh my God, you're just not productive. You're just like you write a to-do list. As like, okay, I got to uh, contact this, got to contact this advisor, I got to take care of this, got to contact my accountant, got to take care of that, got to move on this, and you have a, a to-do list that's 15 things long. If I got all these things done, I'll be done today. Then you walk around, and then you rewrite your to-do list, and it just says, be alive at end of day. That's your to-do list. Just make it. This is now survival. And, and you know, my wife who is a native Californian, hates palm trees. And I'm looking at a couple of palm trees right now. And I never understood why she hates palm trees. Palm trees are not indigenous to this part of California. And the reason they're here all over the damn place is because people plant them here to give it a shorthand that this is a warm place. For people like me who grew up in New England, if you grew up in Michigan, you grew up in Canada, when you see a palm tree... Like, oh, that's a warm place. And you're shoveling snow and you're that you're freezing in your house and you look at a picture where you got a beach and a palm tree, you think, oh, I get it. I want to be there. And so palm trees exist here for that reason, to attract people to California. But my wife always says they're ugly, they're not productive. And to me, I'm like, no, they're palm trees, they're great. Well, I get it a little bit today because on a day like today, where I'm walking outside, I walk my kids to school, you're looking for shade. And there's th- these trees have no shade. There's no shade from a palm tree. 
So anyway, I, I, I'm, you're not. This is not sully weather, but this is what happens when you have a day like this. It's a dry heat. Shut up. So's a fire. Okay. So how do I transfer this to baseball? How do I how do I pivot? Well, the season's heating up. Yeah, there you go. I'll lob that one underhand. Um, I, I did a podcast yesterday, and I said I'm going to do podcasts. Uh, when I feel the need to, uh, it's not the daily show anymore, but it's, uh, I'm certainly going to have multiple shows, especially as we come down the stretch. Uh, I have to say uh, a couple of interesting moves happened yesterday. The angels acquiring Justin Upton was interesting. Uh, and, and they let Cameron Maben go and Maben wound up you know, latching on with Houston, so he may wind up getting a postseason appearance anyway. Left field was not a very productive position for the Angels, and they brought in Upton, who is a very talented player, former number one pick overall, has had some years where he is an MVP candidate, some years where he's not been, but I've always been a fan of Justin Upton. I think he's a talented player. Maybe he's not the consistent superstar that people thought he was going to be, but he definitely is an improvement. And I, you know, I wonder where you put him in the lineup. I, I've, I've been a proponent that maybe you ba- Trout's been batting second, and someone gave me the statistical reason why your best hitter should hit second. Uh, I always wondered why not first. Because when you're when you have the best on base percentage person and they're the best player in the planet, shouldn't they be getting the most at bats? I just feel that that's kind of where it should be. But I wonder what would happen if you batted Upton leadoff and had Trout batting right behind him. I mean, you know, you're. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, Upton would see pitches. You don't want to pitch around Upton and then have him on first base with Trout coming up. I mean, you're, I just wonder what will happen. And I think that it will be an interesting situation with the Angels filling a hole in their lineup as an everyday player. Uh, and you know, I have no problem with the trade. I don't know who the hell they got back. Apparently, uh, the California Angels sent some, and that's, I'm sorry, I still call them that, sent uh, you know, an okay prospect to Detroit. And Detroit's trying to get younger. I'll get to the big trade in a second. But, I, you know, I get that. And it made sense. Now, I don't understand, and I said I did a whole podcast on yesterday. I do not understand why Samarjda is still a giant. That just makes no sense to me. And there must be something I don't Maybe it has to do with the contract length. Maybe it has to do with money has to be eaten. <clears throat> you know, it's not a 5-10 and 10 situation where, because you know, he played at the, the American League in, in 2014 uh, and, uh, and he even played for the White Sox in 2015. I, I don't get this. Uh, there's He cleared waivers. He is clearly a better pitcher every five games than what the uh, Angels have in their five, number five starter, what the Twins have in their number five starter, what the Orioles have in their number three or four starter. And... Yeah, you know, that there's it makes sense to me that they would have the Yankees and the Astros. I'll get to the Astros in a second. It makes sense to me that filling in that one hole may be the difference between a trip to the playoffs and no trip to the playoffs. That they would have made it, and it didn't happen. It would have made sense 
when you see some of the quality of the young players who are going in exchange for pitchers, it would make sense for the Giants to say, hey, what if we get someone who by 2018 or 2019 could be an everyday left fielder that we don't have to worry about left field for the next five, six years if, you know, to make that deal and this other team say, hey, this could be the difference going us going to the playoffs and not going to the playoffs. I don't understand why this trade didn't happen. There must be things I don't know. I assume that's the case because these are teams that are smart organizations and I'm just a schmuck sitting on a stone wall in Pasadena. But I don't get it. I don't understand. You know, the Angels improved one part but they didn't improve one of the most critical part, which is who you hand the ball to every five days. And yes, I understand, you know, he doesn't play every day. Yes, but it affects the team down the stretch. It affects the team if you're not using your bullpen four or five innings a game. It affects the team when you're like, you know what, we don't have to score 10, 11 runs like we did against Oakland the other day to win. I mean, it affects the team when you do that. It affects the game before and after it indirectly. So, Samars is a giant. Uh, I actually think the Giants are not in bad shape for next year. Uh, I think, you know, if Cueto opts out, that, that's a hole. But I think they have some good pitchers. I think they have some good hitters. Uh, I don't think it would take a... They don't need to do a teardown in San Francisco in order to contend in 2018, uh, I just felt that dealing Samarsta would be a good way to fill one of the outfield holes with a long-term solution. The way they have long-term solutions at second and at shortstop and in, in several other positions on the team. All right. But uh, evidently there are reasons that happened. Uh, the Red Sox lost the game Yesterday, they had the tying run at the plate at the end. It just, it, there were some dumb base running decisions, two of them by Ben Attendi, uh, that really, you don't know how the game will unfold. You don't know how the game will unfold if Ben Attendi doesn't try to take second base on that hit. You don't know if all of a sudden the floodgates open and it's a big rally. You, if he, when the strike him out, throw him out, double play, you don't know what would happen if that inning goes on. So it's kind of difficult to say, ah, it didn't matter because of this or that. Well, who knows? If there's a big rally and all of a sudden Sabathia unravels, then it's a very different game. And by the way, look at Sabathia is a great pitcher, borderline Hall of Fame pitcher, uh, and by all accounts seems like a good guy, blah, blah, blah. I hate this whole complaining about the Red Sox bunting on him. I made this point before, but do you know what? If you're playing in a major league game, then you're expected to field your position. And if you can't field your position, then you shouldn't be playing in a major league game. And part of fielding your position, if you're a pitcher, is fielding a bunt. Now, if someone, if you have a, a runner on first and you know that runner can't really run that fast and they try to steal second, should you not? throw them out, it's like, oh, but he's, he's kind of injured. We should let him go. If you know someone has, or probably a more, a more likely, if someone has like a, an, an injury on their shoulder and they're having trouble getting around on inside pitches or something, 
you throw them inside. Because like, okay, that's a weakness. They won't be able to do this. This this batter can't hit the curveball. Well, better throw him fastballs because he can't hit the curveball. No, you're in a major league game. You're trying to win a championship. And if you can't field your position because either you've hurt your knee or you're a 300-pound fat man, then maybe you shouldn't be on the mound. You know, I mean, you don't like that they're bunting. So what? I, I don't understand that. I, I mean, this is people trying to get to the postseason. All right, that's all I'm going to say. The Yankees, they played better than the Red Sox. The Red Sox made some dumb decisions, three decisions that really were, you know, the, the two base running blunders by Ben Attendi and Betts not calling off Nunez on that pop-up to right field. Um, you know, there's the home run by Bird, the home run by Sanchez. You can't do anything really about that. But you don't know how innings unfold. It just don't make dumb mistakes. Uh, what I want to see, um, obviously I'd love to see the Red Sox win the next three games. Uh, ideally, I'd like to see them split the series and therefore have the Yankees not gain any games. That's a lot harder to do when you don't win the first game. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm still confident the Red Sox are going to win the division. And, by the way, the Twins are playing that the Yankees having home field in the wildcard game is not in the bag. Now, it's September. This is when baseball gets to be at its best, and of course, this is when most casual fans tune out. It makes no sense to me. Uh, I'm a broken record. The season should end on Labor Day. You know, it should be a 154-game season that ends on Labor Day. That's the way it should be. Imagine what this weekend would be like if this was here. If we're down the stretch, finishing it up, that's the way it should be, but it's not and I can't scream at the tides. Now, with that being said, we take a look at the, the standings, and you know, the Red Sox have the four-and-a-half game lead on the Yankees. I, I, I don't think they're going to blow the four-and-a-half game lead. Uh, Cleveland looks pretty secure, and Houston, of course, looks secure, and you still have... Uh, the Yankees' win made the scrum in the wild card not quite as tight as it was a few days ago, but still a modest losing streak by the Yankees and a modest winning streak by the Angels and Baltimore, and we have chaos. Now, we have the single most interesting thing, trade, happen in the entire season, happened while I was asleep last night. I went to bed last night because it was hot, and I had like five fans pointing at me, and I slept on a block of ice. When I woke up, Justin Verlander was traded to the Astros. You had Justin Upton, who was traded from the Tigers for young players, and you have a man named Justin who's with Kate Upton, who was traded to Houston. <clears throat> this is significant on many levels. First of all, they got Detroit got several players back about three or four different players. Uh, I don't know all of them. Apparently, they're all they're all quality prospects from a Houston organize, organization that is very, very deep. Um, so if one or two of them turn into regular, everyday players, then this is a, a quality move for Detroit. It's also a move psychologically for Detroit. I talked about uh, a couple months ago where I didn't think this trade was possible. 
I didn't think the, the I thought the contract for Verlander was was prohibitive, and I just didn't think that they would be able to make a move. And if they and if they would be a move, it would be an uber rich uh, organization, you know, a, a very wealthy organization like the Yankees or the Cubs or the Red Sox or the Dodgers would be able to pull it off. I would not have thought it would have been Houston. Uh, I think that it's a it's a it is a fabulous thing psychologically for the Detroit Tigers to basically say, look at Mr. Illich is gone. The window to win a World Series is now closed. They came close. They won a pair of pennants in the time that Verlander was there. 06 he was there. Uh, 2012 he was there. They should have won the pennant. They should have won the World Series in 2013. Uh, the Red Sox were not the better team. Uh, this is coming from a diehard Red Sox fan. The Tigers should have won that series, and they should have beaten St. Louis in the World Series. But it didn't happen. And so now that era is over. Miguel Caprera will be there because that contract is you know, immovable. And when the Tigers get good again, Cabrera will be the elder statesman and Hall of Famer, and there you go. But now they've, they've traded away... You know, they, they traded away J.D. Martinez and Justin Upton. They made a bunch of moves. I'm surprised they held on to Fulmer, but do you want know Maybe there's something up their sleeve. I don't know. But by dealing Verlander, really the face of that era of Detroit, it was saying, look, it, it's over. We're, the Tigers are probably not going to be good in 2018 and 2019. But maybe with the young players and the turning of the page, by the time the new decade shows up in 2020, that this will be a contending ball club. And it's important to not cling, saying, oh, wait a minute, we're just really one more player. No, they're not. And so for the folks in Detroit, I hope you see this for what it is. That the Tigers had a, a wonderful era that came short of the big prize. And that's incredibly frustrating. I get it. I get it as a Red Sox fan for all those years seeing great players come, great players go without that moment of exaltation. And especially the Tigers coming so close. But it didn't happen. And you can't be what... The, what happened with, certainly the Phillies, who actually did win a championship, kept the team together for too long. There's been several franchises that kept the, you know, the, kept the band together too long. And you wind up being a team. I mean, look at what Detroit has become. It takes mediocrity to be an AL contender this year. If the, if the Tigers were merely a 500 team, they would be within two or three games of making the postseason. And there's then at that point, there's no way they trade Verlander or Martinez or Upton. But they couldn't even reach that level with Verlander, with Upton, with Martinez, with Cabrera. So if you can't even reach the level of break-even with this group, then you might as well say, well, then let's just build for something new and something younger. And uh, a brand new team to embrace and root for. I, I'm, I'll say this as a Boston fan, and I know people are tired of hearing me talk about the Red Sox, but I will say that, you know, tearing down the teams that won 04 and 07 wasn't necessarily easy or always smooth, but I love that 
the players I'm rooting for, like Bogarts, Ben Attendi, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., Raphael Devers, uh, 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 you know, uh, Mookie Betts, all these young players on the team, you start to say, oh man, these are new young players that are exciting to root for and they'll be here for a while. And it will happen with Detroit. So be glad you had a Hall of Fame pitcher. And I think Verlander's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Who will have spent more than a decade with your team. And which is in the free agency era, all you can really ask for. And will have had his best years with the team. And you know could have arguably won the Cy Young Award last year. It went to Porcello. I'm a Red Sox fan and I did not agree with Porcello being the Cy Young Award winner. Personally, I would have given it to Kluber last year, but you could have very, uh, Kluber or Verlander, I think, were, in my mind, dead even, so naturally they gave it to Porcello. But be glad that you had these great seasons with him, the MVP and Cy Young season, and just the one, he couldn't have the final win, but he did everything else. And be glad you had that. Eventually the number will be retired and the plaque will be in Cooperstown. Now, how does this affect Houston? It doesn't just affect Houston. It affects everything. It really affects everything. Because the mindset of the American League playoffs up until this point has been, yeah, Houston's going to have the best record because they got off to the great start and they've been beating the snot out of terrible teams. But the pitching has not been, especially the starting pitching, has not been championship caliber. And the idea that, like what I was saying just a few days ago, maybe just yesterday, the idea that if you win the wild card, if you're one of these teams that are hovering around 500 but still could be the wild card, whether you're Minnesota, Anaheim, Baltimore, uh, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, all these teams that are really just not having you know great seasons but could wind up being the wildcard team. If you win the wildcard game, you face Houston. If you face Houston, that's a beatable team. And if you're hovering around 500 getting the second wildcard, there you have a realistic shot of getting to the American League Championship Series. Well, all of a sudden, that whole notion of, well, Houston's pitching is one of their Achilles heels and the Astros will be one of these teams that wins like 100 games but lose in the division series, is now filed under not so fast. Not so fast. You're not asking Verlander to win the Cy Young Award. He's not going to win the Cy Young Award this year, but he's been looking good recently. And if you hand the ball to Verlander against anyone on the Yankees, you know, who's going to start game one of the Yankees in the division series? Severino, Tanaka, Sabathia... I take Verlander over that. Uh, with the Angels, forget it. With the Twins, yeah, you have Barrios and Santana are both having fine seasons. I would rather hand the ball to Verlander. All of a sudden, the notion of Houston being a paper lion. All of a sudden, the idea of Houston, yeah, they have the best record of the regular season, but they're going to get their ass kicked because they're not designed for the postseason. All of a sudden... The number one seed looks a little more like a number one seed. Houston's got a damn good bullpen. Something Verlander never had when he was in uh, Detroit. But 
all of a sudden you're now pushing Keuchel, you're pushing everyone, all the fires, everyone else is down on one more spot in the rotation in Houston. And it changes the entire complexion of the American League playoffs. What I've been thinking, and I don't think I'm alone in this, is assuming that the division series is going to be between Cleveland and Boston. Uh, of course, Cleveland's only a few games behind Houston, so there was the, there was a possibility of Cleveland catching them. And that possibility is still there. But if you had the assumption that, that the playoffs are going to be as it is now, you know, New York and Minnesota would play a one-game playoff. Winner of that would play Houston, while the Red Sox and the Indians play each other. The mindset seemed to have been that the Red Sox versus the Indians would be the real American League Championship Series. That that's the matchup of the two teams that will probably win the American League pennant. But now, Houston's chances... Especially if you're asking Verlander, give us two good months. You don't have to give us 250 great innings. Give us two good months. And more importantly, uh, five good playoff starts. Is that realistic? Five good playoff starts? All of a sudden, if you ask if that's what he delivers, then all of a sudden, the entire postseason picture changes. At this point, I've been thinking it's going to be Cleveland or Boston winning the American League pennant. Leaning towards Cleveland. As a diehard Boston fan, I have to be honest. Obviously, I'm rooting for the Red Sox. Obviously, I think they've got a good chance. But I think head-to-head, and I think in terms of pitching depth, I give the edge to Cleveland. I give the bullpen depth edge to Cleveland. And I think the lineups are about a wash with Cleveland having more power. I think head-to-head, I think if the Red Sox and Indians play each other, I think it would be a great series. I think it will go five. I give an edge to Cleveland. And then before the Verlander trade, I would give the edge to Cleveland in the division series. And then if it was Houston versus Cleveland, I don't think that was close. I think that's a Cleveland sweep. And I think Cleveland would clobber the Yankees, Minnesota, Anaheim, Seattle, Tampa, Baltimore, whatever other, Kansas City, whatever other potential wildcard team there could be. But now, they have an answer to Corey Kluber. They have an answer to Chris Sale. Maybe not for the full season, but for one game. And sometimes that's enough. An example I can give, the best example I can think of, is in 2006... The best pitcher on the planet was Johan Santana of the Minnesota Twins. And the Twins won the division on the final day of the season. And there was a mindset that, hey, the way the Twins are set up, if they keep handing the ball to Santana, they have a chance to win it all. They played the A's in the first round. The A's started Barry Zito in game one. Zito had a very good year. And he outpitched Santana in game one of the playoffs. You don't need to outpitch him. For 35 starts, over 35 starts, Santana was clearly the better pitcher than Zito. But for one game, he neutralized it. And the A's wound up winning that game and winning the series. Verlander versus Sale. 
Over 35 games, I give the edge to Sale. In one game, it's a coin flip. Verlander versus Kluber. Again, 35 games, edge clearly goes to Kluber. Over In one game, could go either damn way. Look at all the years the Atlanta Braves had the greatest starting pitching staff. Three Hall of Famers they threw at you. Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. Their number four starter was always someone like Steve Avery or Kevin Millwood or Denny Nagel. Someone who would be the ace on other teams. But you look at the teams who beat them. Whether it was the Phillies who were able to throw a Kurt Schilling. Whether it was the Yankees who were able to throw a Andy Pettit and a Jimmy Key. Whether it was the Marlins who were able to throw a Kevin Brown. Or the Padres who were able to throw a Kevin Brown when they faced him in, in 98. That there was always someone who, all right, over 162 games, you'd rather have Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz. But for one game, they could match up. And now the Astros, and it seems strange that we're doing this, because, talking about it in this way, because it's a number one seed. But now the Astros have the guy that they can say, okay, we can match up. And I'm fine throwing Keuchel game two. Right now, the Astros have gone from me thinking, do you know what, they're probably going to be beaten by... I would have picked Minnesota over the Houston Astros before this morning. I would have picked... I would think that the Yankees, Baltimore, Anaheim, I think they would be dead even. Coin flip with Houston. And as I said, I would have certainly have picked Minnesota over Houston. But now, not so fast. I think Houston now is a clear advantage over the Yankees, over Anaheim, over everyone other than Minnesota. I still think Minnesota would give them the most fits and flips because of the quality season of their top two starters. But now the entire American League playoff has changed. And now you also have the narrative. Now, the narrative can always be overrated. But the narrative is there. Houston has gone through this horrible, horrible event. And now Houston is going to have the playoffs. That rallying point. That post-9-11 Yankees, that post-Katrina Saints, that post-Boston bombing Red Sox, that it's there. I don't know. There's, you know, narratives are always so clear in retrospect. You know, if there really was the great power of the narrative, then the 2001 World Series would have been the Mets versus the Yankees. If that would have been the... Uh, Saints would have won the year after the, the, the year of Katrina, not a couple of years later. The year of Katrina, the Saints got to the NFC Championship game and lost. Um, so, I mean, there, I'm sure there are other things I, I'm not even thinking about where there was great tragedy and all of a sudden there was, you know, the team stunk in the postseason. But that's going to be there now. That's going to be a part of it now. Now, does that mean that a team from Cleveland, a team from Boston, a team from Minnesota, a team from New York, a team from 
Los Angeles and Anaheim or Tampa Bay or wherever will play less hard because they have sympathy for the people in Houston? Of course not. Of course not. But that narrative is going to be there. And funny things happen when you have a team playing for a city that just came off of something terrible. And here comes Verlander. And all of a sudden, the Houston Astros no longer look like a paper lion. But I'll tell you what I look like. I look like a sweaty mess, even though I found some shade under a tree that was not a palm tree. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Feliski. This has been Sully Baseball for the first day of September. Down the stretch we come. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.